Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Hannah. And I'm Kate. And we are going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Today we'll be talking about Peter Pan, the 1954 musical based on J.M. Barry's 1904 play Peter Pan. It has music mostly by Mark Moose Charlap with a little by Jewel Stein and lyrics mostly by Carolyn Lee with a little by Betty Comden and Adolph Green. And it was conceived by your favorite, Jerome Robbins. Um, <laughs> so a bit of a mess there. We'll get into it later. But first, you might have noticed we have a guest today. Kate. Hello, Kate. Hello, Jerry. Hi, Kate. Hello, Hannah. Hi. <laughs> Uh, so, Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about Peter Pan, because we invited you on due to your expertise. Absolutely. So I, uh, with my collaborator, Ben Capolo, wrote a, a modern adaptation for kids uh, to be performed by kids, uh, and it is called Peter Pan and Wendy, The Neverland Takeover, and we performed it at the Media Theater uh, in their children's series. So Very Kate nice. is, in fact, the resident expert here, I'd say, on Peter Pan today. Peter Pan and Wendy. <laughs> And on am Wendy, right. <laughs> Always <He> certainly <laughs> Certainly knows more about the story than I, I would argue that we do. I saw Peter Pan as a kid. Um, the Broadway production that toured uh, about, I would say at this point, almost 20 years ago, uh, when it toured the country, I saw it in Boston as a young person. Um, Jeremy, what's your relationship with Peter Pan? I also saw it, I think, that exact same touring production. Well, I know mm-hmm. Kathy Rigby toured with it in the 90s yep. and also multiple times in the 2000s. So yeah, I don't know. incredible. She was. I don't know which version I saw, but I know it was the second professional thing I ever saw on stage. Unless there's mm-hmm. like uh, school field trips to children's theaters I'm forgetting. But I know that I saw a Chicago production of The Lion King tour when I was really <laughs> little. And then the next thing I saw was Kathy Rigby and Peter Pan. So Kathy Rigby! I also remember seeing a version of Peter Pan, like a professional one, when I was very young and being very impressed by the flying. And I also remember owning... A very adorable and like had a huge stain on it version of a Tinkerbell costume that oh. I had when I was like three that I just didn't throw up for like far too many years. Disney Tinkerbell? Uh, yes, Disney Tinkerbell. TM. Nice. Trademark. Who's like really sexualized, actually. Oh, yeah. Very sexualized. Tinkerbell? In the, in the Disney movie. Oh, only. yeah. Certainly. Well, Absolutely. In the book. I mean, like in the original book, like she said she's clearly in love with him and like is uh like very very i mean the whole jealousy thing that's like clearly part of peter pan is like a very big part of the novel and she's constantly calling peter you silly ass like all the time so (laughs) she's she's got some strong feelings Mm -hmm. which is a joke once in the musical but it's like throughout the book she's like really pissed at him yeah i think it's worth noting before we kind of dive into peter pan um peter pan i think holds a place culturally that um probably many of the musicals we've talked about thus far do but maybe not for us just because uh you know we grew up watching the movie peter pan and i also experienced hook and i just uh, i know finding neverland there's just like i feel like the peter pan story echoes so much throughout our our cultural lexicon i sound like a dick um <laughs> but in a way that like for example pajama game um i have yeah i have way fewer <laughs> cultural touchstones i don't know so. I play pajama games everywhere you go <laughs> yeah so anyway, just Peter that gives pa- it, I think, a little more bite. Yeah, sorry, what were you going to say, Jeremy? Peter Pan is one of those weird sort of semi-public domain stories yeah. that it's just so, it's such an interesting and unusual story. And yeah. because anyone can do an adaptation who wants to, you because get so many. the novel is. The novel's public domain and the play is not. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, so that's why we adapted from the novel is because you oh. can adapt from the oh. play. That's, that's very interesting. interesting. Yeah. I was... I was looking up They're not the that different, but like yeah, yeah. I was looking up the copyrightability of it before we did this podcast because I am a lawyer and <laughs> like copyright's like kind of my specialty, or at oh, least yeah. it, it was in law school. I don't get to do any of it anymore. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's, well, it's interesting. It's right on that edge in both English and American law. Like the play and the book, they were all written right around the cutoff yeah. line. Uh, mm. So it's like kind of. Basically, if you want to do a Peter Pan story, you can. And because of that, a lot of schools do. And it's like Robin Hood in that way. I mean, Robin Hood is totally public domain. It's like hundreds of years old. But it's one of those stories that just speaks to people for some reason in England and yeah. in America. I mean, they're doing it literally in Philly right now at the Arden. It's a very, yeah, Ed just saw it done again. Um, obviously one? different than the musical. They're doing Peter Pan at the Arden right now in the, the local play. Philly theater. Yeah, it's their children's theater show right now. 
Interesting. Po- I mean, yeah. The point. The point. I mean, they have totally their own unique take on it. But the point mm-hmm. being, yeah. Um, one other thing before we, I think, dive into some history, we should just recognize we've talked before about how Jeremy and I went to college together and made a lot of theater together in college. Um, we made a lot of theater with Kate in college too. Actually, we were talking last week, I think, about Cabaret. Um, on Pajama Game. one or two things about that show. <laughs> Which Kate directed. Kate directed Yay. Jeremy Sherwin. So, you know, just love connecting some dots for our, um, you know, extremely diverse audience base, many of whom definitely didn't go to Penn, right, Jeremy? <laughs> no, yeah, we have we have a, a one or two Brazilian listeners. We have a Chinese listener. We have listens in England, Ireland, a lot of Sweden, in Oregon right now. Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, we've got like 200 listens from one person in Oregon who's only listened to three episodes but downloads them like eight times a day. Okay. Shout out Oregon fan. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, they should be on your podcast. They should be a guest probably. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we called They're you on the listening. last episode. Or, Oregon fan. Oregon tweet fan. To, tweet to at Broadway underscore binge. We'll have you on the show. We'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, with that all being said... Um, <laughs> Uh, Jeremy, and I'm sure, please, Kate, obviously punctuate yes. whenever you'd like. Um, can you take us through some of the history of the musical of Peter Pan? Because yeah, I, I, you certainly know more about it than I do. Yeah, I'll, st- I'll tell the history of the musical of Peter Pan um, more so than I'll the, tell the history underlying of the musical. play. Uh, basically, so as, as we said, everyone has always wanted to adapt Peter Pan. And in the 50s, it was only a 50-year-old story, but it was still something that producers on Broadway thought children would like to go see on Broadway, sort of a children's musical, which wasn't a super big genre. And to the extent that Peter Pan was important, I think the two areas we're going to see that Peter Pan was a groundbreaking musical are in the genre of children's musicals and in the genre of television musicals. It broke major ground in both of those categories. So mm-hmm. in 1954, um, a producer, Edwin Lester, decided he wanted to do it, started it up in California and sort of take it on a West Coast tour before Broadway. Uh, he brought in Jerome Robbins, who basically conceived of the whole thing, choreographed the whole thing, uh, thought about how the flying was going to work. And at first, it was going to be just a play with a few songs. So they brought in relative unknowns, um, Moose Charlap and Carolyn Lee. <laughs> Such a good um, name! Yeah. Moose Charlap Moose is, is Charlotte. He's really an unknown, has done like mm-hmm. nothing else of note. Carolyn Lee did write a lot of lyrics with Cy Coleman, who we haven't really talked about before, but they sort of wrote a lot of standards back in the day. Her most okay. notable song is The Best Is Yet To Come. Like, mm-hmm. the best is yet to is come. Is yet to come, yeah. <laughs> um, so she wrote the lyrics of that. But other than that, basically, Peter Pan is it. So they wrote some of these songs, but Jerome Robbins decided it wasn't doing well in California. They decided it needed more songs and need to be not a play with songs, but a full-scale musical. So they brought in... Mm. Uh, Jules Stein, who we actually have not seen yet, we're going to see him again in Gypsy coming up pretty soon, Ooh. and he is very is it famous. Coming for... up roses pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well played, Kate. Well played. Okay, right. you've never listened to the show, right? Pull it out. No. <laughs> so, so our theme song is "Everything's Coming Up Roses." Did oh, you know that? I didn't know that. But it's no, the I disco do. version. It's the disco version. <laughs> That's. So I've never heard that. You've never heard the special? disco version? No. It's okay. I can listen we'll to play it for you. Time. Yeah, we'll it's play okay. for you after. I'm, I'm I'll actually. I'll listen to the podcast, then I'll hear it. This is actually you, the, sh- the most was, shocking thing of the day. I would say it's a game changer, the disco version. Yeah. We should probably incorporate she, that. She did a whole disco album, Ethel Merman. I did not know that. Well, we're, we'll talk about it later. I don't know day. how I feel about it. I don't know. I'm worried. Um, mm. Concerned. <laughs> you should be. I think, you should. I think that's it's fair. Gr- it's great. Anyway, so. So, uh, Jules Stein, they brought in for the lyrics and for, sorry, sorry, for the music. And then for the lyrics, it was Comden Green, who we previously met when they worked with Jerome Robbins in On the Town. They wrote the lyrics mm. for that with music by Leonard Bernstein. And um, we, we will get into this later, but I personally think that their songs are definitely the weaker songs. They're much more traditional Broadway, but not in a memorable way. And the songs right. that people still, still sing from Peter Pan to this day, I think, are the Moose Charlap songs. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so it did. It's um, got that classic moose charlap sound. Got that know. classic yeah. moose sound. Mm-hmm. So it did mm-hmm. decently well. It, it closed after only 152 performances on purpose because it was a limited run, and then they shifted the whole production over to a studio in Brooklyn where they made a whole TV stage and filmed it in color for NBC. And this was like an early showcase of color television that aired in mm. uh, 1955. It was a big hit. There's no more uh, record of that 1955 version that also had Mary Martin. Um, or at least I think someone somewhere has video of it, but it's black and white and you can't really find it online. 
They did it again the next year, 1956. Again, Mary Martin, they filmed it live on TV. Um, and then in 1960, they did it for a third time live on TV, but this time they had invented videotape. So that is the version we have today that um, the three of us, or at least Kate and I, Hannah, did you watch the Mary Martin version? What, um, what did I you watch? Did, I watched some of it. I watched that. Um, but I just want to say before I forget that I wonder how old Christopher Walken was when it was first being televised on TV. Uh, do you want to be in charge of looking that up? I'm just curious. I just think uh, it would be interesting to know what year Christopher Walken was born because uh, it's true that uh, you know that was really to come later in his career. I think it's best if you look it up, given my technology setup at the moment. That's true. Um, okay, he was but born. But no, I in... watched clips of Mary Martin. It's true. Christopher Walken was born in 1943, and mm-hmm. so 54. Uh, he was 11 when it first was on TV. So he would have been the target demographic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, worth uh, worth thinking about if he thought, you know, one day I will do a terrible job playing <laughs> Captain Hook. <laughs> anyway, that's to come every little boy's dream, isn't it? <laughs> every little boy's dream. Um, for one those day, who don't know, a um, there was an, <laughs> a very recent TV version in 2014. Um, there was a brand new Peter Pan live starring Allison Williams as Peter Pan. And you uh, <laughs> you might know her as the girlfriend in Get Out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think she also was in Girls, but I only know her from she Get Out. Girls. Yeah. So when I watched clips of her in Peter Pan, I was just like, ooh, <laughs> I can only think of her as the girlfriend in Get Out, which... <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. that's a very interesting take on the character. Like, yeah. you know. On Peter he's... Pan? Yeah. But it's just you the mean girlfriend like... in Get Out. Right. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a... Is uh, it a good take? No, but it's an interesting one. Is it a good... Was it a strong choice? <laughs> <laughs> it's a choice. And Christopher so, Walken was Hook, so there you go. <laughs> it was. I'm not going to do a Christopher Walken impression. That's going to make everybody sad. Um, okay, so now you're going to do your Christopher Walken impression. You no. Know. Why, why, why are you even doing this podcast Hook. if you're not going to do <laughs> There it is. Okay, so the let's... Um, <laughs> so let's skip TikTok. right to a video of Christopher Walken forgetting one of his Great. lines. <laughs> That's the move. In the live version. <laughs> Um, Those it, are the good. I don't know if That's it'll be what they quite as good in audio version because you can't like see him being confused, but you'll still be able to hear some of it. So let's just go ahead and <laughs> Great play. Great job queuing this up. Christopher Walken forgets his line in the live version of Peter Pan. <laughs> okay. They found a mother. Oh, it's nice to have a mother. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Pan has found a mother. <laughs> <laughs> the game is up. All right, that was good it. work okay, in the background, though. He spent that, that whole time so just sitting in a chair. Coughing. That was that was very good work on the part of the pirates in the background because like, oh, for sure. he was trying to cough to like make up for it and then they just were like coughing like as though they're all supposed to be coughing like it's yeah. they've all decided before and they're gonna do they, good good oh uh, that's that that's one good. of my favorite that's, videos ever matching <laughs> i mean okay that is i mean yes ending while we're here you know i do think it's worth noting i think christopher Walken's extremely talented it was probably set up to fail i don't know that is um, it worth noting that i think it's worth saying i mean i don't think i don't think i think there's a lot a big difference between live theater and film work and televised live musicals in a studio are just what a peculiar beast so you know i don't i'm not i'm not here to go in on christopher walken but i am here to laugh at christopher walken in yeah Peter he, Pan. That's fair. That's fair. he did a bad yeah. job but that yeah. was the whole point they cast him knowing he would do a bad job and that that's the only reason people would turn on their tvs and it worked yeah. So, <laughs> do you have okay, so, exclusive uh, insider information that that's why they cast him? Yeah, great. Thank <laughs> you. you. Um, okay, I have a question. This gets back to history of the musical, and Kate, you might know the answer, or Jeremy. Um, and I, I don't think we've touched on this yet. Yet, which is um, like, why did they want to make a musical version of Peter Pan? Was it about like, was this a, show, a story that was important to the producers? Was this a story like, was this an attempt to reach a younger audience with traditional musical theater? You know what I mean? Uh, yes to the second. I don't have any evidence that they were like obsessive Peter Pan fans. I think it's just they sure. didn't have to pay for any rights. Yeah, and the a lot of the musicals we've talked about have been based on books. They had to pay for rights and musicals yeah. today are based on movies. So it was, it was a free story and they knew kids would go. I, I'm not aware of any major efforts on Broadway to target specifically children. I'm sure there, I can't imagine that there was nothing before 
1954, but nothing big enough that we've heard of it. Maybe Babes mm-hmm. in Toyland or Babes in Arms, which Hannah and I notoriously don't know the difference between. <laughs> <laughs> and we both think it's the Island of Misfit Toys. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Do you know? Do you know anything about I, these? No, not a single thing. I know yeah, all the words you're saying, the but I don't know what they mean. <laughs> I've That's seen fine. Toy Story three. Does that relate? <laughs> yeah, I think they all. God, what a hor- horrifyingly upsetting movie, Toy Story three. Yeah, it's thank not God a good, I wasn't okay. a kid in that. It's relevant to everything we're saying. I know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know um, anything's game. Yeah. Okay, I don't so... know why it became a musical, but I do feel like the um, the power that it gives children to uh, literally save a dying fairy by clapping um, mm. it, and by believing, and in this way that is like unique as a feature of childhood that uh, we're told from the beginning that children are losing. Um, mm-hmm. bringing that back towards the end of the show in almost almost kind of an 11th hour moment for children to actually have power, um, I think is a pretty um, powerful and effective tool. I think that's and a very so, good point. It's so interesting. The whole show is about childhood yeah. and sort of children play acting adulthood and being afraid of adulthood, but also obsessed with adulthood. Um, yeah. I mean, you see Peter and Wendy, that he wants Wendy to come and be the mother, and then he pretends to be the father, and they, they mime reading the, the morning newspaper together and being the parents to the Lost Boys, and it's very much like how real children always want to grow up, but also mm-hmm. don't want to grow up, and the sort of, everything you do in childhood is sort of around, centered around this idea of growing up, and this play, more than any play i can think of is about that so i think that's why it has such lasting impact yeah i mean i think yeah i think both of what you y'all are saying rings super true and i'm thinking about just piggybacking off of what kate said like the ways it kind of empowers children to choose their own destiny i mean i don't know it's i mean it's literally like about kids running away from home with a with a stranger um yeah well i mean and peter um you know he He's different from the other Lost Boys in that he, they all fell out of their cribs and that's how they ended up in Neverland. Whereas, like, he, um, so they're literally lost, but he right. heard his mother and father arguing about what he was going to be when he grew up and he didn't want that. He wanted, he wanted control. He wanted to, like, be able to not have that future that it was being predecided for him. So mm. he goes to Neverland. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the version that uh, we did, we made it more Wendy's idea than Peter's idea to go um, because we thought it might mm. be interesting if it's like a contemporary version that she would uh, want to like run away from home because it actually wasn't, you know, uh, in the musical, like in the uh, the version that we are all talking about, the Broadway version, like... Um, uh, obviously, Peter convinces them, and just kind of interesting to shift that power dynamic too. Mm. Are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that a contemporary play uh, might feature a uh, female-identified character with her own uh, wants and needs, Kate? No, I think that that's a horrible idea. Because are you the thing is that a... <laughs> if you empower women, then like, what's next? Right. You know, what's like, next? Dogs. Dogs. Like, I mean, then Nana just becomes hey, the star of the show. Of... It's like, <laughs> right. You know, what, yeah. what do we do mm-hmm. now? Oh, I also okay. love that Dan is always played by a human in a dog costume it, and can yeah. sometimes be adorable and sometimes like the stuff terrible. Yeah. It's yeah. it's terrifying. There's a lot of I think weird theatrical conventions that are um always tied up in the show, I would yeah. say, that are probably worth noting. Um you got the dog, you got the flying, um I don't know, what else do we have? There's always those well, big I mean, fight. such a direct breaking of the fourth wall where like right, I mean, the, what yep. would happen if the kids don't clap? So, so right. for yeah. those who don't know, Tinkerbell is a flashlight pointed on the stage often. Most often. Um, just, yeah. just waved around in the background. That's how you see Tinkerbell moving. And at one point in the story, Tinkerbell is dying because right. children don't believe anymore. And in order for Tinkerbell to be saved, the children and the audience have to prove that they believe in fairies by clapping for Tinkerbell. And it yep. works every time. Deeply manipulative. Do you think there's ever been a production in history where the audience just straight up refused to clap and then the people on stage were like, well, Tinkerbell's dead, dead now. now. So That's it. It's I over. hope you're happy. Sorry. Yeah, we, Kate, how'd uh, you handle it? Yeah, how'd you yeah, handle it we, in yours? Well, what we did was, um, well, we made her a character, not light. 
Um, Great. And we, we made her really sassy and funny um, so that she she's playing Peter's unpaid intern. So she's like oh, that's doing great. it for the experience um, <laughs> that she needs for her resume. Um, that's fun. And I like that so much more. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so good. she's always like, you know, he's like very egotistical and she's always kind of trying to like, uh, she cares about him. She's always still kind of trying to take him down a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, she does uh, take the poison. And we were like, uh, it's, it's you know, the modern era now. So we don't clap if you believe. We tweet if you believe. So we have every, like, kid in the audience, like, make oh. chirping noises, like they're little birds. Oh, I thought you meant, like, tweet on your phone. We thought about doing that. Hashtag and then we decided Peter to, Pan. like, make it, like, tweeting, like, little birds. And, like, um, we, we, so we went through various iterations of being, like, maybe we should, like, have them say, hashtag tweet if you believe. Maybe they should be tweeting, That's like, funny. birds. Maybe they should be, like, should be, like, a whole social media campaign. And then we were, like, nah. So <laughs> instead it's just, like... You know, it's the 21st century. We don't clap if we believe. We tweet if we believe. So then all the, like, little kids in the audience get to, like, make, like, really high-pitched, like, you know. That's, like, Like kids' favorite thing to do. So it works nicely for everybody, especially the parents, where they just get to hear their kids, like, you know, scream. Um, I mean, I'm 25, and I just did it, and I enjoyed it. It was pretty great how you did that. So that was how we decided to do that. But, um yeah, I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's interesting since earlier in the show, like in the in the original musical version, like uh, very early on, Peter Pan is like uh, fairies are dying because children know a lot now. Children have a lot of information now, and mm. so that's why they don't believe in fairies anymore. Which is interesting, right? Like it's not like oh, kids are all just like you know really pessimistic. It's like they have a lot of information. They mm-hmm. know a lot of things now, which mm-hmm. just for us, given like our time period, is truer than it was then so yeah for sure interesting interesting way of looking at it now and it Mm -hmm. was interesting seeing that in the 1960s and i guess then there was television i wonder if on the one hand that's been a sentiment for like all time like Mm -hmm. i I can imagine going back hundreds of years to the people saying oh the kids today know way more than they should right on the other (laughs) hand it doesn't sound like something peter pan would say no yeah um on, on the other hand even though i feel like that is probably the sort of thing that old people have been saying forever and usually if old people have been saying the same thing forever that means it's never been true <laughs> now i mean i think it actually and i'm usually never the person to, to say like kids these days but i think it actually is true not that it's necessarily a bad thing that kids know more stuff but they have access to cell phones and tablets and yeah. things that we don't right. they're raised on on youtube and i'm not saying this like oh the kids on their youtubes like maybe that's gonna make them better <laughs> yeah. than us maybe yeah. it's gonna make them more informed and more tolerant than us, but it's it's so it's so different. Yeah, it's interesting how true that actually is now. So, um, yeah. So we figured that that the kids would either know what birds are or they would know what tweeting was. <laughs> but either way, it would be a good uh, good twenty first century. You know, you assume solution. things. <laughs> <laughs> What's a bird? What's a bird? I know what a phone okay. is, but I don't know what a bird is. So okay, I have two thoughts. Number one, is it worth? Do we want to quickly peel through like the plot of Peter Pan? I'm sort of assuming our listeners know the story of Peter Pan. Um, but maybe not if they're not American. Do you, do you want to take this one, Kate? Uh, sure. Quick plot synopsis. Uh, uh, Peter Pan and Tinkerbell uh, go to uh, the the window at nighttime of uh, the darling children, Wendy, John, and Michael. And uh, he has left his shadow there, and he's been listening in on the Cinderella story that Wendy's mother has been uh, telling them every night. And... Um, they want to hear more stories because they don't get a lot of stories in Neverland. And uh, the darling children end up flying away with Peter um, in a kind of stunning stage feat for that era. <laughs> and um, then they arrive in Neverland and they're uh, in the original musical version. You have um, the uh, tribes that are native to the land, uh, which I'm sure is a thing that we will Talk oh, about. we'll get into that <laughs> next. Uh, <laughs> having uh, various kinds of battles with the pirates and uh, somewhat friendlier battles with the Lost Boys, uh, which, of course, in my version, we made the Lost Kids because, like, you know, we're not going to mm-hmm. do Lost Boys. Um, and they uh, uh, have um, conflicts there so that Wendy shows up and she wants – she's their mother. She becomes their mother and um, – she wants to read stories to them. She wants to take care of them. She wants to give them medicine. And uh, Peter sometimes kind of, uh, you know, he will play act as kind of like father and mother with her, but he really does see her as like his mother as well. Um, eventually the darling children want to return home 
and uh, the pirates. Uh, I think they kidnap them, the right? Kidnap yeah, the pirates the kidnap the darlings. And hijinks ensue. The kids want to, the Lost Boys want right. to come back with the darling kids to the darlings' home, and they want to be adopted by the darlings, uh, like by the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, because Wendy's totally sure that her parents will be like super cool with that. <laughs> so, um, which is mm-hmm. a thing in the, in the book too. In the book, they end up um, adopting all of them. Um, so, and it even goes through like what their future careers are too, which is just kind of funny. That's um, I don't remember what they are, but they were like, it was something like very, pra- they're all very practical things. Actually. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Peter agrees when they do fly back home to see Wendy for spring cleaning, mm. which of course in our version, we made spring break because mm-hmm. that's what nice. it is in 2017. 2018. Wait, it's 2018. Give us, 2018. give us the rundown on Captain Hook and Smee. I literally didn't even mention Captain Hook, did I? I just said pirates. <laughs> it's okay. We <laughs> talked about me. Christopher Walken already. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, Captain Hook is this very proper... Uh, the, the book makes a lot of use of this. I think it's like inherent in the show, but they don't really talk about it as much. He's very, mm. very proper. He's like this very kind of like um, uh, polite British gentleman who is also like a terribly evil pirate who's... Mm. Uh, who whose arm was eaten by a crocodile, crocodile. and the crocodile has uh, a clock in its belly so that like he always can hear the ticking um, when it's nearby which of course Peter ends up using to his advantage at the end mm-hmm. and that's the plot yeah is that a it's good that, should I sum it yeah. up okay yeah that's great hearing it now I'm like god god they were on some weird drugs when they wrote this it's true it Just was thinking weird. About, like, it's a weird show it's such it's a, a weird, weird story yeah we yeah. accept these things as normal um when and of course what about... happens with, uh, and what the thing that happens with um, Tinkerbell and the poison is that, um, mm-hmm. right. so Wendy, in her quest to be their mother, has been uh, giving them medicine, and she leaves mm-hmm. medicine for Peter to take, and she, he, Peter promises to do so after she leaves, and now it's just like sitting there, and Hook sees it, and he tries to poison Peter Pan. And Tinkerbell tries to warn Peter not to drink the poison, but he's like, no, this is the medicine that Wendy left for me. I have to drink it. Like, I told her I would. So then uh, then Tinkerbell drinks all the poison and tries to mm-hmm. save him. And that's why we have to clap so that we clap oh, if you I didn't realize that was what her. happened. I yeah. stopped paying attention there because I was bored. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what happened. Yeah. This is really boring. <laughs> I guess we haven't talked about how we feel about it. I don't think this is a good musical. I think maybe for children it is. I think. I think it's weird for children. Like, I think that the, it's a very strange, I mean, there's a lot of darkness and death and it's like, and like, oh, and like near death and like people like just escaping death. Um, It's not that there, you know, you can be acquainted with that as a child, but it's a very dark show for a children's show. Yeah. I think it's like a weird question of who the audience is in real life. I think it's true. I think it depends on how you do it. I think that it's probably like the most, I I think I prefer more contemporary retellings. Like I love Peter and the Starcatcher, which is worth noting. I was thinking about that, Kate, when you were talking about how proper Captain Mm. Hook is. Um, I do like the story of Peter Pan a lot, I will say. Like I really think, I love how adult it is. I love it's how it's literally about kids who are afraid of growing up and dying. Um, I grew up loving Hook. So I think like for me there's a lot of, I have a lot of ways into the story, but I also think you guys make a good point, which is like that's separate from this musical. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know if this musical is exceptional. Um, I, think yeah. the, I think the deal is that it's a musical that adults think kids like. Mm. Adults <laughs> don't like it. Kids don't like it, but adults think Who kids will like it? it. So they keep putting it up for their kids, and then they take right. their kids. To, it's not like the kids are choosing to go see the musical Peter Pan. Nobody I was, wins. I was taken to it. So it makes all the money from parents taking their kids to it, which makes it successful, which makes producers put right. it up again. Right. Then parents are like, I've heard this show is successful. I will take my kid. I think and no one has right. ever actually been entertained by it in history, and yet it gets done <laughs> over and over again because of a huge misunderstanding. I think that, that there is a are hot some, take, Jeremy. That is a, that hot, is a take. hot take. That is a hot take. I think that yeah. there that are some things that are um, kind of wonderfully charming and entertaining about it. I don't think I don't um, I don't pretend to like love and embrace the entire show um Mm. because i don't but i think that (laughs) there's uh but there are there are some gorgeous songs and uh fascinating ideas about childhood and about um like the uh kind of play on um like the power of wanting 
power as a child and like needing to mm. be uh, empowered to make your own decisions when you are a kid. Um, and like for for Peter Pan, that was that was his ultimate decision, right? Is he was like, I don't. He was a baby and heard other people making decisions for him about what his life would be, and that was so terrifying that he left. Um, that right. he left home and like left his left the love of mother and father. So that's just like a very I think psychologically kind of interesting concept. Um, yeah, which is what kids too. love, right? They just love psychologically interesting. Psych- that's, that's, that's what kids want. That's the thing. <laughs> I, I think it sounds to an adult like this. An adult would say this is psychologically interesting because it is psychologically interesting yeah. to an adult. But then. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, I liked the flying when I was a kid. I think yeah, that's what I enjoyed. I, I did too. Oh, right? for yeah. sure. And there was, and I loved some of the songs when I was a kid. So, so we the, talk about the songs. We'll get into that yeah. uh, in one moment. Yeah. I guess, um, but I now that I've come up with this hot take, I hadn't <laughs> thought of it before the <laughs> podcast. But now I really Let's like dig it. In. The thing is, and that's good. Adults think that oh, this is very psychologically complex, and kids think about growing up all the time. So let's do this show about growing up, and surely it will resonate with them. This is probably mm-hmm. like the exactly the right sort of thing that would interest them. But the kids don't want to see this. They want to go watch Star Wars and like, uh, like, you know, <laughs> like Disney movies. They want to go see Elsa and Anna. They don't want to see this stuff. And then the adults, they're like, well, if I have to go see a children's show, like maybe I'll go see this one with, you know, these psychological themes. But the adults aren't really enjoying it either because they want to go see real musicals. So no one is actually mm-hmm. served by going Nobody to see wins. It. Nobody mm-hmm. wins. Nobody so wins. We tried to do okay, a lot third. of, in our version, we tried to do a lot of those, like, jokes that, like, not jokes that are, like, inappropriate for children, but, like, some kind of, like, uh, uh, bonuses for parents, you know, where... Like a Pixar movie. Yeah, like, well, like the fact movie. that she's... Like Toy Story. Right, there exactly. Because like, that's, cause that's like, the stuff that I grew up on. Like, I feel like that was more formative to how I ended up understanding comedy as a child mm. that became what I would write when I like did right. a version of Peter Pan that um, you know having because mm-hmm. I think that a, a great children's show can be something that both do love I do think that um, a lot of kids do relate to the impulse to want to not necessarily to want to grow to never grow up but certainly mm-hmm. to be able to do whatever they want yeah. sure. that I think yeah. is like kind of uh, delightful as a kid that I think people kids do like about Peter Pan so that that's mm-hmm. one point I will I will defend for the original Peter Pan but there's most other points I won't defend yeah. <laughs> and you see the other points yeah mm-hmm. okay um so we should talk about some songs um yes. let's just sculpt out our time here I'm also I would like to talk about the legacy of um um women playing Peter Pan um yeah, totally and uh we also certainly should talk about the um unfortunate use of quote unquote you we we call you call them native tribes but the sort of um we should we should engage with that let's talk about that so in in whatever order and then there's one other topic i can think of too so i guess let's race through these songs uh i won't give them let's start with some songs okay okay so i got the first good song in this show that i've heard of before is i've got a crow and as we play these songs (laughs) i'll tell you who wrote them which is interesting i got a crow When is she gonna I taught a trick to crow. my shadow to stick to the tip of my toe. I got a crow. Actually, Kate and I went to go see a, a play inspired by I Peter Pan. Yeah. Sarah Wolves for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday. What? It was about like a, it was a sort of a fake version of Mary Martin's slash. I'll pause this thing. That's Sarah's mother. Oh, Sarah Wolves' mother played Peter Pan? I think so. I did not know that. We should do a fact check of this to make sure that I'm not yeah. misremembering. Because Peter Pan is famously played by women. The two most important women to play Peter Pan in the musical version are Mary Martin, who you heard right. originally. She was South Pacific. Uh, she's saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to wash that memory out of my hair. And then later on, Kathy Rigby, who is a famous American gymnast from the 1960s. So and, cool. And she played Peter Pan for ages. Um, I will play uh a little bit of kathy rigby's voice as peter pan she did it very differently from mary martin i actually personally Mm -hmm. prefer it i don't know if that's blasphemous i'm not saying that kathy rigby is a better actor or singer than mary martin obviously not but kathy rigby really i thought owns the peter pan role in a great way she was the peter pan when we were all kids and hannah see if you can see if you can guess which Broadway diva I think she sounds like. Yes. Great. I can't wait to think about this. <laughs> Try not to guess in advance. So here's just her mm-hmm. speaking voice. Cause... Don't have a mother. <gasps> Harvey Pearson? No. <laughs> wait till she sings. No one has ever touched me. Why not? I don't know. 
Oh, um. What's her face? That's my voice. Oh, here's I Got a Crow. Comparison. Oh, I just Wait, let's, the song. let's hear her actually singing. Okay, let's go to I'm so Flying. So that Hannah can guess who I think she sounds like. I like can feel it in my brain, but I might, it might not be in the frontal lobe. Well, well you'll, when you, you'll hear it. It's gonna come? It takes a while for them to fly. Okay, here we go. This is before or after this. Oh, here we go. Uh. I don't hear it at all. Kate. It's not here. Where, okay, where does she sound like Bernadette Peters? I don't hear it at she all. She sounds like Bernadette Peters. <laughs> she later. does not sound like Bernadette Peters. She does sound like Bernadette Peters. She does not. Okay. Play Never Neverland. I don't even know Kate where that is in this video. Well, she know the show better, Jeremy. Okay. Well, here's um, what I want to say. Um, Kathy Rigby, so when we saw it, I saw it in Boston. And at the end of the show, they fly her out. Um, there's obviously, there's lots of flying in the show. Um, and obviously, she wait, there's flying is in the show? very crazy. Um Weird. And she's very well suited to this, right? Because she has the core strength of an Olympian. Because um, she is one. And she would fly out from the stage across the audience and land on the balcony of the mezzanine. And I remember talking to my mom about it as a, as a kid. And my mom realized that like every theater that she did that in would have been different. And she just had such skill as a gymnast that she could stick the landing. But it was really mind-blowing as a child. And that's what I have to say about that. No, she's. I, I think. I think she's better than Mary Martin because she's so. I she's such a, a gymnast. Uh, so basically, it's the, also. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I'm getting. I'm gonna totally change the topic though. Oh, well, I mean, I just want to talk about women as Peter Pan. Um, uh, yes, Broadway Man Five. I do have a take about this that has to do with sexuality, and I'm not ashamed. Um, I'm interested, like, in the ways in which Peter Pan is also a sexual coming of age story for Wendy, right? Um, and there's lots of that in the play, and I've seen productions or versions of the story that avoid it uh, versus versions of the play that make it much more explicit and much more about that. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Kate, mm -hmm. but I'm also interested in the way that we, like, also often cast a woman in that role, and it's often, like, an androgynous woman, and what that, what kind of story that tells, like, is that a way of queering the narrative? Um, I didn't know I was queer yet, but God, did I love Kathy Rigby in that show <laughs> as like a seven-year-old who could have known. So yeah, I don't know. Those are some things that I'm curious to think and talk more about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about Wendy for a second, um, just separately from Peter for a moment. Um, sure. I mean, it's interesting in the in the book and in the musical, uh, the, the role of a mother and what a mother is doing. I mean, it's so, uh, you know... Uh, traditional is kind of like a very uh, understated way of saying it. Um, that mm -hmm. she's like, uh, I mean, literally the first thing that she does for him is like, he flies in, he doesn't know that you can't reattach a shadow with soap. And so right. she sews it on for him. Like that is her mm -hmm. role is to sew, to read stories, to give medicine. Like she, her role as a mother is such a, uh, I mean, it's such a limited view of what women and motherhood are and can be. Um, I mean, it makes sense for the eras and it's, right. you know, deeply problematic. So, um, I mean, I thought it was important when we did our version that she was much more of a, um, she was much more there to be their educator than anything else. Like she's, because we decided to take the storytelling thing and make it like that she actually like sets up a school for them and she's like, they really want to learn. And so mm -hmm. like instead of, uh, there's a scene in the, in the musical where uh and in the book where uh hook leaves a poison cake for them assuming that they're gonna just see a cake and they're like you know rowdy they're just gonna like eat the cake right there's kind of like a boys will be boys kind of undercurrent to the whole thing and right. then what happens is that wendy is like um no 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 like you can't eat just like you can't like that you can't eat cake like you're i think she's like you, if they have this much sugar before bedtime it won't be good something very like stereotypical um mm -hmm. and instead we made it like a in our version, she was like, wait, this is suspicious. And she, like, does a bunch of science experiments on it. And then is like, oh, wait, there's poison in this cake. <laughs> so it's nice. like, nice. you know. I love science. <laughs> yeah, science. Yes, I know so much about science. Much science. Mm -hmm. So much theater. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, I think we literally had her say, like, double, double, boil in trouble. Like, Great, you know, fun, love you know, a Shakespeare It's real science, mm -hmm. of course. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, and even the concept of, like, he's going to come back and visit her for spring cleaning. Right. I mean, right. like that she is kind of this ideal womanhood um, in this mm. very stereotypical, antiquated way that um, 
you have to, I think you have to deal with and tackle if you're going to ever do a production of Peter Pan ever again. Right. Um, It's really kind of, um, and it's interesting then the dynamic of uh, her with Peter and Peter Mm -hmm. being played by a woman that this is, is like, which we didn't, which I didn't do in, in my adaptation of it. It's just, he's just a boy. But mm-hmm. um, I do think it's it's interesting if you wanted to talk further on that, like what what that means that given that she is this kind of like stereotypical ideal womanhood, what it means for Peter if if Peter is being played by an androgynous, um, sure, you know, femme identifying person. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I also I always think about like the kiss exchange and yes. like you know what is that, and then there's somehow is that like queer baiting or something? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, but I don't think Jane Barry just... would have seen it. Because the play originally had a woman in 1904, and in that case, I think think it was just like, oh, we need a woman to play a little boy. And I feel like in Jan Barry's mind, I feel like he had weird feelings about women. I think all these weird things that women are only exist as mothers comes from him because he had this sort of weird relationship with little boys where, like, Mm -hmm. he wanted to be their caretaker, like, outside of a mother relationship and sort of just, like, him and his little boys. And... So originally, I don't think it, there was any sort of intention about that. But now, obviously, I mean, the play is still getting done. Jan Barry's long in the grave. So sort of what you're talking about absolutely might be a thing in new productions of Peter Pan. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I might be fishing here. But I'm just, I think it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's worth, I think it's interesting just to think about the legacy of the show. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we should address, uh, before we get much farther, we should talk about Tiger Lily and that unfortunate situation, I think. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, viewers, listeners, not viewers, you can't see a podcast, but maybe you can. Anyway, um, so basically, like, we've talked about how in the story, and it's also true in the musical, there are, um, like, a tribe of natives on the island, and historically, like, and this happens in the show, um, there's literally music numbers surrounding it. Um, like we, they're personified in this very sort of racist uh, way, basically. Right, isn't the um, song like, called like Ugga Wugga or something? It's called Ugga Wug. Yeah, unfortunate. And and they're not called natives in the show. They're called Indians. Yeah, like, yeah. they're called you know, Indians. And they call you know, yeah, it's not if good. If you know the Disney version, like there's that one song like We're Off to Fight the Engines. It's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's not good. You have Tiger Lily, who's um, sort of the Indian, quote-unquote, Indian princess, who um, Peter saves at one point. Um, and in the 1960 yeah. TV version, she's you know played by a white blonde She woman. looks extremely white. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, thought she was Mary she's Martin here. disguised as, <laughs> yeah. as, uh, at first. Yeah. No, because they're both like no, short, yeah. small blonde women. They, they actually uh-huh. look similar. They do look similar. So, so when yeah. she first, I was watching with my girlfriend, and we were both like, oh, like when did, did the video skip? Like when did Peter Pan like ingratiate himself? Character. With with uh, the Indians, and it turns out no, this is actually Tiger Lily. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't even know what there is to say about it except for the fact that it's racist and really unfortunate and um, really uncool. And uh, I don't know, I don't know if we have any information about like contemporary productions. Yeah, Kate, to how did you deal with it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the way that we decided to deal with it was um, that the tribes that were native to the island had to flee because the pirates were too uh, were were too aggressive and dangerous and were like killing them off basically mm-hmm. um, and like were too much of a threat and we said like a few were able to survive and they still see them like they like get have playdates every other Tuesday or something but like with the nice. with the lost kids but um, but we thought that uh, you know there's gonna be a lot of ways of dealing with that and for us we thought to actually represent what, um, the the violence that so many uh, would have faced felt like the right way for us to tackle it, especially because we're worried that like given the history of the show, like this, if we right. if we wanted to fully try to represent um, a Native American story, um, we didn't know if we would have um, you know. I think it's really important when you do that that you are having you are casting Native American actors and you are right. really yeah, telling sure, Native sure, American sure. story. And of course this is also Certainly. like an island in a fantasy place that isn't mm-hmm. necessarily America. Um, right. You know, what does it mean for this fantasy island to have Native tribes um, and who could those people be? And uh, given the fact that the pirates were so violent, um, we felt yeah. like there would be certainly a version of the story in which we don't actually see them um, because mm-hmm. they are, it's too dangerous. Yeah. It's tricky like to think about. So I'm, what I'm thinking about right now is um, 
about Annie Get Your Gun, yeah. uh, which is a totally different show, but Jeremy had, like, a conversation about that and um, the, I don't know, racial politics within that show, um, and specifically, I don't know if racial politics is the right word, the politics surrounding um, the representation of Native Americans in that show. Um, and we talked, to too, about, like, there were some people who felt like you couldn't do the show without that because it was important to tell the story that that was how we used to talk about um, Native American populations, and then some people felt the opposite, which was that it's just deeply irresponsible to tell the story that way. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it's really tricky and unfortunate, I guess, is how I feel. Um, but what you're yeah. saying, too, about, like, you don't want to erase that narrative, but you also don't want to misrepresent that narrative. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can't, and you also don't want to make it seem as though the book, um, as though the book did a good job with it, because it didn't, <laughs> you know, like. If, right, you know, sure. It, it's uh, the book is just as bad as the musical in terms of how <laughs> how it handles it. Um, so yeah. uh, you know, do you do you rewrite something entirely? You know, how do you how do you adapt for what for something that was problematic and like ho- like horribly problematic in the first place? How do you put it? Um, you know, how do you how do you place that narrative yeah. now? I think it sounds like you handled it well. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. What do they do in the uh, TV movie? I the don't. most recent TV movie. I don't actually know. There's so many. Uh, There's so many things they wrong. They did cast someone who is uh, who has Cherokee ancestry. But do they sing Uggawug? I don't think they did. Jeremy. I think they wrote some new lyrics. I was just reading about this earlier. Um, I think that they tried to kind of. I feel like it was more diverse overall, like that mm-hmm. sort of set. Like I think they decided, like, um, you know, they're not going to be necessarily like. Uh, Native Americans because they're uh, not necessarily native to like Native Americans don't actually look the same in Neverland or isn't the same population of people. But I don't know what they if maybe if we look up the cast. Um. Yeah, Peter Pan live Tiger Lily. Yeah, Alana Saunders. Yeah, and she was she has Cherokee um, ancestry. And, and when I try to find videos, because you can find videos online of a lot of the new Peter Pan, but I can't find any videos of anything to do with like the Indians or Tiger mm. Lily, which makes me think that it must not have been a big part. I can, right. I do remember there was a conversation surrounding it at the time. Um, yeah, and I don't. But I don't feel like I remember it clearly enough to speak on it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So another topic that we could uh, segue to is that I did a little bit of research on the original story that Peter Pan came from, which is um, <laughs> called The Little White Bird. And okay. <laughs> um, I first heard about this. I had no idea that Peter Pan came from a different story. Um, I heard about this in a pen class I took that was called Victorian Feelings, which <laughs> this is just oh, dear. Um, a classic. A lot of gasping, I'm assuming. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A classic English class. Um, and, <laughs> um, and my professor, I, my professor Joseph Lavery, uh, basically just shocked us all in the middle of class one day by telling us that Peter Pan <laughs> was a dead baby who murders other babies and that he came from a story within a story told by a pedophile to a little boy he was trying to rape. And we were all like, what? Like, how, how could Peter Holy. Pan have become such a success if, if this is at all true? Yeah. So I looked into it, and it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's not an extreme exaggeration. So um, as I'm sure Kate knows, because she was read into Peter Pan a lot, the original incarnation of Peter Pan comes from this book, The Little White Bird, uh, which is about a character, sort of an author self-insert. In real life, J.M. Barry sort of had some boys who he looked after and cared a lot about. Right. And so he sort of wrote this character who's, you know, a middle-aged man who uh, takes care of this boy and sort of wants to adopt him. Um, and he tells us, in the middle of the book, he just tells a story to this little boy about this magical baby named Peter Pan. And Peter Pan um, just flew away from his crib when he was uh, only seven days old because uh, babies all used to be birds, and Peter Pan is still sort of part bird, so he flies away to Kensington Gardens, which is a real place. I think all three of us have been there in London, and it's not Never Neverland, it's just Kensington Garden. And he meets the fairies there and gets off to a lot of hijinks that have no relationship at all to uh, the later story play and book he wrote, Peter and Wendy, which everything we know comes from that later play in 1904, in the book that huh. came with it. 
But this story is very different. I sort of skimmed it. Um, there's um, a character named Mamie who's kind of like the Ur-Wendy, but it's sort of... My professor sort of indicated that the subtext here is that he didn't in real life fly away to Kensington Garden to play with fairies, that this is a baby who died in his first week of life, and this is sort of like his spirit going down to live. Oh, but it also gets kind of creepy in that Peter goes around and finds babies who have been lost in Kensington Garden, and if he can save them in time, he will add them to his lost boys, but sometimes he just finds dead babies and buries them and makes little headstones where Peter Pan carves their initials into the headstones. But the Peter Pan Jesus. story within the story ends um, with the narrator saying, but how strange for parents when they hurry into the gardens at the opening of the gates looking for their lost one to find the sweetest little tombstone instead. I do hope that Peter is not too ready with his spade. It is all rather sad. And what that's basically oh implying God. is that sometimes the babies aren't dead yet and Peter kills them with his shovel and buries and murders ah! the babies Yikes. overnight. Um, and now I'm well, way um, to ruin everything, Jeremy. Now <laughs> yes, we're Jeremy's going to responsible for the story. Now we're going to go. <laughs> so the story that the story is over, and now um, the narrator of this story is uh, is getting the little boy David, who he has told the story. He's getting him ready for bed. Uh, so he starts to put the boy to bed. Um, and so I'm just going to start reading. This is all from the. You are sleeping with me tonight, you know, David. I said. I don't know, he replied, a little troubled, but trying not to be a, nu a nuisance. You remember you are with me? I asked. After a moment's hesitation, he replied, I nearly remember. But presently he added very gratefully, as if to some angel who had whispered to him, I remember now. I think he had nigh fallen asleep when he stirred and said, Is it going on now? What? The adventure. Yes, David. Perhaps this disturbed him, for by and by I had to inquire. You are not frightened, are you? Am I not? He answered politely, for I knew his hand was groping in the darkness. So I put out mine, and he held on tightly to one finger. I am not frightened now, he whispered. And there is oh. nothing else you want? Is there not? He asked again politely. Are you Jeremy. sure there's not? He added. He added. What can it be, David? I don't take up very much room, the faraway voice said. Why, David, said I, sitting up. Do you want to come into my bed? Jeremy! Mother said I wasn't to want it unless you wanted it first, he squeaked. It is what I have been wanting all the time, said I. I can't with this. this and then without little ado, the little white figure rose and flung itself at me. For the rest of the night, he lay on me and across me, and sometimes his feet were at the bottom of the bed and sometimes on the pillow. But he always retained possession of my finger. And occasionally he woke to say that he was sleeping with me. I had not a good night, I lay thinking. Of this little boy who, in the midst of his play while I undressed him, had suddenly buried had suddenly buried his head on my knees. And I guess I'll stop right there. That's God damn it. That was horrible. Uh, Why did we do that? Let's be clear that Jeremy did not write this. I did not write this. This is by J.M. Barry. Peter Pan, has, the very first Peter Pan story has just been told in a book, and it is followed immediately by this exchange. Um, and great. now That's every time... Great. You ever watch Peter Pan, you'll That's think of him great. as a baby killer being made up by a child molester. So I'm sorry. Good. Well, here we are. Uh, welcome to Broadway Binge. We should have started with this. <laughs> no, we should, no, we should not have. Nobody have ever stayed. Um, it's true that we're um, rounding the corner of approaching an hour. And I, started, I think we probably, if we have any closing sentiments, we should probably get to our ranking. Any sentiments soon. you have about the show, Kate? <laughs> I have to go from there. <laughs> um, gosh i guess um uh i'll just say i i uh i adore the song never neverland um, yeah i think that uh it's that song is probably my favorite thing about the show um uh -huh. i mean this is completely unrelated to uh what we just heard but um and who do you know who composed that <laughs> yeah one? So, um, I'll play Never Neverland. So, the first two songs I played, I've Got a Crow and I'm Flying, are by Moose Charlap. Um, <laughs> the other, what I think is the most famous song in the show, which is um, I Won't Grow Up, is also by Moose Charlap. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. We'll play a second of that, and then we'll, and then we'll switch to over to, to Jewel Stein. So, here's I Won't Grow Up, as you just heard. I love this song. Wonderful singer. Are you ready for today's lesson? Yes, 
listen to your teacher. Repeat after me. I don't want to go to school. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Just to learn to be a parrot. Just to learn to be a parrot. And recite a silly rule. And recite a silly rule. If growing up means it would be beneath my dignity to climb a tree. I'll never grow up. Never grow up. Never grow up. Not me. I'm pretty sure I had like a Broadway kids. um, Yes. With that song on it. So like I part of me kind of hates that song because I remember mm-hmm. that version being pretty annoying. I can't believe you I also had to see it. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh really? Like, of course we. Of course we all. That's had where it. I know the song That's, from. Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely grew up hearing that literally all the time. Yes, that was my sister's favorite CD. So I'd always hear that and some dumb oh, song from it. Mame. <laughs> Wait, what was it? And and there was a damn Yankee song in it. It was the worst. Was CD. there one from like? Yeah, what was what's the one about the school the kids go to? to uh, I want to make magic. Fame. Well, there was a song from Fame on there, wasn't Fame. there too? I don't yeah, think I so. Maybe not. It's I don't know. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So those are all, so those are all by Moose Charlap, and I think those are the most famous songs of the show. The Jules Stein songs, I think, are mostly kind of just like boring replacement level songs. But Never Neverland, I think, is definitely Jules Stein's best um, yeah. addition. I prefer the Moose songs, but. Uh, it seems this is Kate's favorite song. It is my favorite. So let's play it now. Peter, where do you live? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's a secret place. Please tell me. Where do you guys think Neverland is physically located? Would you on believe Earth? Like I said, the right side on top morning. So I always interpreted that as in space. Sure. But For now sure. I realize I think that just means you follow it over the sea. I have a place. Oh, wow, you make a really good point. Is it Iceland? It's probably Iceland. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do sail back to England in a boat. <laughs> Wait, we haven't even talked about the mermaids yet. God damn it. I, I don't think they're in the musical. Sorry, we just yeah. like, spoke over your favorite it's song. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'll just Sorry. cry my dog, no problem. It's fine. Yeah, that was an okay song. The, the one really redeeming thing. With I the like show. that song too, Kate. I like that song too. I will say, I'm gonna, I'm here to vouch for Neverland. Yeah, it's I, beautiful. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, and that, uh, I think, makes the most. Uh, like, I feel like that's a pretty compelling argument that he's making. Like, you know, I would totally go to Neverland if he's like singing those things. Like, mm-hmm. that sounds great. I'll do it. Um, um, it's yeah. interesting in the in the novel. Uh, it's like uh, he asks them, which is not something that we actually hear in Neverland, but he asks them like what they would each imagine what their Neverland would look like, and they each have like a very mm. different kind of like fantasy idea that I I think would have been. Uh, we included some of that text in our version because it's like kind of lovely. It's like uh, they they just each have a different kind of like beautiful dreamy picture of it. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess. I, I can forgive the lack of those lyrics for the fact that it's a really gorgeous song. It's true that it is. Um, Let's rank my, it. Oh, no, okay, well, I just want to add, this is just has nothing related to do with uh, the musical, but it's just my personal Peter Pan theory that I'm deeply proud of. Um, so you guys know the song The Chain by Ingrid Michaelson? So there's a, it's a we should probably maybe add a clip of it as the play out or not probably play out with it, something else but um, there's a lyric so glide away on soapy heels and promise not to promise anymore and if you come around again then I will take then I will take then I will take the chain from off the door clearly about Peter Pan soapy heels y'all <laughs> that's about Peter nobody Pan. I just I think know. it's a really uh, I, th- I just think it's a really strong argument I and I feel very strongly about it that the chain <laughs> is a song that Wendy is singing to Peter Pan and I hope that everybody is deeply affected by this information. Uh, so and here's the, here's the nothing to do with the musical. But here's the problem: is that it's not take the chain off the window. It's take the chain. Yeah, off but the like door. the door to the outside. I think. See, I just think. I think Sophie heels gotta be Peter Pan. Listen, Kate. I feel like that's a bit. Of I don't need your semantics. It's not. Semantic, I don't need you to poke holes logistic. in all right. my theory. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> let's let's rank this thing. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Okay. Love you, Nana. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> Listen, soapy um, heels. It's very specific. Okay, so so Kate, at yeah. the end of every episode, we rank mm-hmm. the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, we give it three scores. Okay. Those scores are how important was it on mm-hmm. a scale of one to ten? Mm-hmm. Um, how good was it compared to the shows that had come out prior to it? And how good is it today compared to every other show that exists? Very interesting. 
And so Hannah and I are each going to give it one of those three scores, and so are you. Great. And then Mm -hmm. we're going to sort of math it together so that all of our scores are like multiplied by two-thirds so that it fits even with our episodes. We we have Showboat a was of 10. Was it good? It was the best show of all time when it came out. Because it was the first. Is that yeah. how you're thinking? Okay. Basically. All right. Exactly. It's held to a lower standard. That's why it was our first episode. <laughs> okay. No, that's You should I listen see. to the podcast. I understand. Kate. Okay. I understand. Okay. Um, so, Peter Pan, first, we're all going to give it a score of one to 10 on was it important? Um, okay. I think. Was I've it got... important? Yeah. I, have a, I have mine. I have mine too. I also have mine. All right, Hannah, you first. Um, give it give it a two and a half. <laughs> okay, I am giving it a three and a half. Wow, you guys, okay. I'm giving it an eight, so that's what? very different. Because Great. here's why. First of all, in terms of the conventions the of uh, children's theater and because mm-hmm. of uh, the way in which it broke the fourth wall and also because of the use of flying and using like stage, I, I think, although I could be wrong, but I would think it was one of the first to use... Um, that kind of technology on stage in a consistent, mm-hmm. memorable way, um, which became a very important convention for like you know much of theater going forward. So I think for you those know what reasons, we I'm love, eight. we love a guest who throws things uh, throws things for a loop. Um, you're doing your job oh, and yeah. live your live your live your truth. Honestly, yeah. live your truth. I gave it a three point five for being an influential TV musical. It well, I don't think it was the very first. I actually took some notes on this. It was not the very first TV musical. Um, in terms of other uh, TV musicals, the year before Anything Goes was filmed for TV with Ethel Merman, Frank Sinatra, and Burt Lahr. Um, Ethel Merman! But Peter Pan was a huge hit, and after that there were a lot of other TV musicals, Wonderful Town, Annie Get Your Gun, Kiss Me Kate, mm. and then Cinderella was most important of all, 1957. That was Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote a whole musical just for TV, 107 million people watched it in the U.S., which was the, lar- which was the mm-hmm. largest broadcast ever at the time, and 60% of the United States population watched that production of Cinderella. And I don't think that would have happened without this. That being said, that didn't really change the Broadway medium at all. It was sort of an adjacent right. influence, so that's why I'm only giving it a 3.5. Also, this is important because it was one of the first children's musicals ever, so maybe a 3.5 was a little low. I'm starting to regret giving it I a 3.5. I feel secure. Nope, nope, no, no. I back. feel secure in yeah, my no. low reading. My low it's, rating. It's, I feel secure about it. It's our rule that we um, don't go back. Yeah, okay. So there no, we go. And you know what? I hear everything Kate's saying. Um, I'm probably thinking about it against the backdrop of the type of change that other musicals we've talked about have enacted in the genre. And so I'm weighing it lower. You yeah, know, I'm, glad, okay. I'm glad Kate gave <laughs> it a way too high score. Kate's way too okay. high score balances out the fact that we gave it a way too low score. And so it's going to end up being what it should be. I don't know about that. Moving on. Moving on. Was it good? Now, this is how good was it compared to other musicals that had come out before then? And we're so, just like, talking about quality. Quali- yeah, just quality. Is, just to be clear, not what I was saying for importance. Yeah, importance yeah. was the previous yeah. category. So this is just right. quality, quality as, as quality. a music. So this is like so, a show compared that like... the shows before it. So uh, this is so that a super dated show doesn't get totally screwed because mm-hmm. like we don't... Our tastes have changed. Sure. I have okay. a score. Okay. Right. It. All right. Yeah, Jeremy, you go first this time. Um, I'm going to give it a 2.5. <laughs> um it's it's better than some things but it's not that great actually this is the lowest this is the second lowest i've ever given something for was it good yeah well you know what because it's not actually all the other shows we talked about have been some of the all-time greats um this we're only right. talking about because sort of like it's well known and important but it's it's not one of the all-time greats so yeah i think even for the time it wasn't that great 2.5 for was it good? I'm gonna give it a four. Um, you know, I think because there were some things in it that were really innovative and exciting for the time. Um, I don't think it is especially good, and that is how I feel. Kate, three. I'm giving it a three um, because I think that um, though there were things about it in terms of like stagecraft and convention of musical theater that were important, I don't think that they were actually qualitatively necessarily good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I I agree with all that. And now for is it good? I have a score in mind. Do you guys have scores in mind? Yes. Sure. <laughs> I am going to give it a three, which is higher than was it good? Because I think it's never been that great, but it's gained a little in charm as the years have gone on. That's nice. I'm also giving it a three, and I think for the same reasons. 
I'm giving it a two um, because I <laughs> think that uh, there is a uh, a lot that we should uh, that that. If you produce it now, uh, you should be thinking quite a lot about whether or not you should actually produce this thing, and is it responsible to, and if you do, then uh, how do you approach it? Um, like, there's just too much in there that is um, just uh, offensive and problematic that if you're going to handle it, you have to seriously think about how you're going to handle it, in, mm. and in ways that in the writing of the show, I think, is just uh, doesn't hold up uh, compared to... Uh, some of the uh, greater musicals that we have today. All right. Well, I think that that's um, all really valid. And I wonder, Kate, while Jeremy does the calculating, can you tell our listeners um, if they want to know more about um, you or particularly your version of Peter Pan, how might they do that? Certainly. Uh, so I'm Kate Herslin. My collaborator is Ben Capillo, K-A-P-I-L-O-W. Um, we produced... Uh, the media theater in Pennsylvania produced um, our version of Peter Pan and Wendy. And if uh, anyone is interested in it for their school or for uh, their children's theater, um, they can email me at kateherzlin at gmail.com, K-A-T-E-H-E-R-Z-L-I-N at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to share more information with you. Woo-hoo! And thank Thanks, you for Kate. the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. And just to update you on the score, um, it got a score of 21, which ties <laughs> it in second to last place with Kiss Me Kate, which is a shame because we really didn't like Kiss Me Kate, and I don't feel that negatively about Peter Pan. Um, yep. I, this case confused about the spreadsheet, probably. It's it's missing a um, somehow the pajama game, which we rated last week, is didn't get saved on this Excel Could you spreadsheet. you vote on the proper uh, pronunciation of pajama versus pajama? No, we didn't. Pajama. Know. We that. Hannah, pajama what do you say? Game? Pajama. Oh, I say the pajama game. Wow. I say pajama. Wow. Okay. It's pajama, that's like a, objectively. I believe you guys because I think it takes place in New York, so um, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. so with all that being said. I don't remember the number that one got because it didn't get saved in the spreadsheet, but that was definitely that's definitely in last place, and now Peter Pan is tied for second to last. Um, I didn't make a note of the... The run length of Peter Pan isn't that useful because they uh, purposely truncated it so sure, my, my sure. weird ratings with including a number for how long it ran, like, forget about that right now. Um, Peter Pan tied for second to last. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. Peter. Bye. <laughs> all right. Thank all you right. so much, Kate, for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. It Thank you, Kate. <laughs> and we will see you all next week uh, for Damn Yankees. Uh, I guess uh, not safe for work episode. There's a swear Uh-oh. word that we're going to say the whole time. Oh, wow. Uh, be sure yeah. to follow us Great. on at Broadway underscore binge on Twitter, at Broadway binge on Instagram, and our website is broadwaybinge.podbean.com. Please subscribe, please rate and review our show to help you find us. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.